Thanks. Good to be home. There's no place like home. That's where all your stuff is. So, 1 Samuel, that's right, 1 Samuel chapter 25. I hope you've been enjoying Samuel as much as I have. Apparently not. Air condition on first service? Yes. Second service too. Wow, we're on a roll today. Praise God. Well, we're going to do uh, chapter 25 of 1 Samuel here. Just remember, uh, Saul's been pursuing David, trying to kill him, jealous of him, jealous that God is with him and he's withdrawn the Holy Spirit from Saul. Uh, there's a little reprieve here in the chase. Why? Because David had Saul dead to rights, cut off a piece of his robe, showed Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Saul's heart was touched about that. He withdraws his forces. He gives David a reprieve. David is kind of just below the radar, hiding out in places, uh, just staying out of Saul's sight. And uh, I want you to see, uh, before we read the chapter here and thank God for it, that uh, David is in a little bit of a holding pattern. We're going we're gonna to talk about that and see what God does with us at moments when we are in a kind of treading water, waiting for the things of God to fall into place. So Father, we thank you for the word this morning. We thank you for this book. We thank you for 1 Samuel chapter 25. Holy Spirit, I know that there's lots of gems and lots of blessings and lots of principles in here for each of us. So open up our hearts and our minds. Holy Spirit, show us how to apply these truths from God's word to our daily living. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if Sister Kim would come and read chapter 25 in its entirety. For Samuel 25. Then Samuel died, and all Israel gathered together and mourned for him, and buried him at his house in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And it came about while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel that now the man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And the woman was intelligent and beautiful in appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his dealings, and he was a Calebite. That David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, visit Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say, Have a long life, peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers, now your shepherds have been with us, and we have not insulted them, nor have they missed anything all the days they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a festive day. Please give whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in David's name. Then they waited. But Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David, and who is the son of Jesse? There, there are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men whose origin I do not know? So David's young men retracted their way and went back, and they came and told him according to all these words. David said to his men, Each of you gird on his sword. So each man girded on his sword, 
And David also girded on his sword, and about 400 men went up behind David, while 200 stayed with the baggage. Verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we were not insulted, nor did we miss anything as long as we went about with them while we were in the fields. They were a wall to us, both by night and by day, all the time we were with them tending the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what you should do, for evil is plotted against our master and against all his household, and he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. Verse 18. Then Abigail hurried and took 200 loaves of bread and two jugs of wine and five sheep already prepared and five measures of roasted grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and loaded them on donkeys. She said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. It came about as she was riding on her donkey and coming down by the hidden part of the mountain that behold, David and his men were coming down toward her. So she met them. Now David had said, surely in vain I have guarded all that this man has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. May God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave as much as one male of any who belonged to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey, and fell on her face before David, and bowed herself to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my lord, be the blame. And please let your maidservant speak to you and listen to the words of your maidservant. Please do not let my lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young man of my lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my lord, as the lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as Nabal. Now let this gift which your maidservant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who accompany my Lord. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil will not be found in you all your days. Should anyone rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord does for my Lord, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and appoints you ruler over Israel, this will not cause grief or a troubled heart to my Lord, both by having shed blood without cause and by my Lord having avenged himself. When the Lord deals well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Verse 32. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me, and blessed be your discernment, and blessed be you, who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you, Unless you had come quickly to meet me, surely there would have been left to Nabal until the morning light as much as one male. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up to your house in peace. See, I have listened to you and granted your request. 
Then Abigail came to Nabal and said, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she did not tell him anything at all until the morning light. But in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, so that he became as a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Verse 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and has kept back his servant from evil. The Lord has also returned the evil doing of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent a proposal to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her, saying, David has sent us to take you as his wife. She arose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your maidservant is a maid to wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Then Abigail quickly arose and rode on a donkey with her five maidens who attended her, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also had taken Ahinoam of Jezreel, and they both became his wives. Now Saul had given Milcah, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. A lot of stuff. But it's all good stuff. So Saul stops pursuing David, and really what happens here is David's life goes into a holding pattern. And we see, you say, why is it that way because uh, he's supposed to be king, but there's another king on the throne. Now, what is David supposed to do in the time to where God places on him on the throne? He won't take his sword and take Saul out and put himself on the throne. That was a good move, yes. but he waits for the Lord. So sometimes we, in life, sometimes we have to wait and it seems like we're just in a holding pattern. We're treading water. God puts us in those times to refine our character, to deal with us, to teach us Patience. I know I just swore in church. I said patience. But patience is a lesson nobody wants to learn. Man, most of us, once that oil hit our head, I anoint you king. Well, next day we're like, we're, we got plans to get the kingdom going, right? David had to wait. And while he waits, he gets a reprieve from being chased by Saul. And so he's just kind of in a, a time of just treading water. Now, if you find yourself in life just waiting for the Lord's will to come to pass. Pay attention to what he's trying to do in your character and wait on the Lord. Don't push your way in. People who push their way in find themselves pushed out just as quickly. David doesn't do that. He shows us a great life lesson there. Now, there's a realignment going on in the kingdom. One of the things that happens here to realign the kingdom is there's a spiritual realignment. We see in verse 1 that Samuel the prophet dies. Now, this is a big deal. Why? Because Samuel came out of Eli's priesthood, and Eli and his sons were wicked before the Lord. Remember, way back in Judges when we studied these things, these guys, these priests were shaking the people down for money. They were doing all kinds of immoral things. They were... That his sons were sleeping with women and doing all this stuff. It was just crazy. And so here comes Samuel and he puts Israel back in spiritual shape again. He gets them to the place where, you know, they're, they're moving right before the Lord. Now at his death, there is something that happens here where that happens every time someone's a spiritual pillar or a spiritual giant dies, there's a leadership vacuum that needs to be filled. 
If you study history, and especially Israel's history, you know there were good kings and bad kings. And when a king died, you never knew what you were going to get. It's the same thing with this prophet. He's dead and he's gone and his leadership needs to be filled. And it's a precarious time in Israel's history here. Now, David kind of comes out of hiding. He's kind of staying out of Saul's sight, staying out of the radar. And he comes to mourn this man, Samuel. And so there's a leadership shift that's taking place there. Uh, at, at the, you know, it's before David takes the throne, but it's a significant thing. Verses two and four, uh, we meet the man Nabal. Say Nabal. The best way to describe Nabal was he's the south-facing end of a northbound mule. <laughs> he was a jackass for those of you who didn't get it. He was really an a bad guy. In fact, nobody, including his wife and the people who serve him, have anything good to say about him. Right. In fact, his name means uh, son of Belial, which is basically son of the devil. Like, thanks, mom. Yeah. You know, like, who names their kid that? All the moms are going, you've never spent a day. No. <laughs> but I mean, this guy, there's nothing in here says anything good about him. And here, David's a good man. He's a godly man, but he crosses path with this guy. Um, and remember, uh, it's, he's described, Nabal's described as a rich man. You know, rich people, you know, not all rich people are bad. Not all rich people are arrogant. Not all rich people are proud. Not all rich people think the whole world there is there to serve them. But Nabal does. Nabal's the quintessential, you know, rich, arrogant guy. It says he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. I guess that made you rich back then. I, I don't know. I wouldn't want that many sheep and goats because that sounds like a lot of work. But Nabal was a rich guy and it was harvest time when they sheared the sheep and they took the wool off them and then they slaughtered some of them. This was the time where, you know, that was kind of like harvest. It was your cash crop. All your money's coming in. So David, who had provided services for Nabal, uh, realizes it's harvest time in Carmel and he uh, is going to approach Nabal with an offer. Now, it's not an illegitimate offer. I want you to know that. That. David had provided a legitimate service for Nabal, but we're going to see Nabal's reaction toward David's pretty humble request, this guy's going to be king, is much less than a good response. So the Bible says here in these verses two and four that, you know, Nabal is described as harsh and evil in his dealings, and Abigail is described as an intelligent, beautiful woman. So his wife is intelligent and beautiful, and he is harsh and evil. Now, this is a chapter that all the ladies like. <laughs> Come on, they're saying, that's right, you know, this, these men, and you know, we... And we're going to see Abigail is the hero of this situation. But she also does some things that cause us to pause, and we need to take note of. But she is a good woman. Notice, she's beautiful and intelligent, the complete package. I want to say something about this. When you have a beautiful, intelligent person married to a harsh and evil person, somebody made a bad choice. Yes. Hello? Yes. Choose wisely who you marry. <laughs> you know? Choose marry. I mean, you're going to marry somebody. Make sure, you know, they are compatible with you. Now, in Abigail's defense, she probably in those days didn't have much choice who she was going to marry. So, but, you know, we do. <laughs> so, you know, if you, you drag your spouse into my office and go, you know, they're, blah, 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 you picked them. <laughs> All the people who have married a long time, they're like. <sighs> but choose wisely. Abigail was in a tough situation. And she didn't, you know, she was not with a good man. And the Bible makes it very 
clear the contrast between them. Now, in verses 5 through 8, David sends 10 of his young men to ask Nabal's favor. And this is a, an interesting thing here. Um, David had provided a service, and he wanted to cash in on some favor here. He needed some help. Remember, he's exiled. He's out with his men, and you know he needs some favor from people. So David sent 10 young men, it says in verse 5, and David said to the young men, go to Carmel and visit Nabal. Greet him in my name and say to him, have a long life. Peace be with you. Peace be to your house and peace to all that you have. So he gives them this great greeting. He gives them honor. And then he tells them that, you know, I know the shearers are shearing and, you know, we've treated your shepherds well. We've not insulted them. We've given them security. Uh, we protected them when they were with us. He says in verse eight, ask your young men and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes for we have come on a festive day. Please give whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son, David. So, you know, it's a, it's a humble request here. And he's asking for something, not just saying, hey, I'm David, give me some free stuff. Okay? We got to make that clear in this generation. David's not just saying, you know, I'm the king, so give me what you got. No, he provided a legitimate service for him. These herdsmen go up into the pastures and he protected them. There's all kinds of people who would steal and rob and do stuff. You know, and, he, and these guys, he treated them good. He took care of them. He provided security for them. So now he's just, look, he's just asking for a little bit of honor in return. It's not an illegitimate request. Yet David instructs his young men to, you know, come in his name. He doesn't just say, just go and ask for stuff. He says, tell them, you know, you're my servants and come in my name. And to be gracious and respectful to them, they bless him and wish long life on him. So, you know, realize this is a, this is a humble thing for David to do. He's asking for a little favor. Um, he wants, you know, he wants his men to be blessed for their work and how they protected. And he's in need. He needs supplies. He needs things. Verses 12 through 13, David gets Nabal's response and it is not a good one. In verse 9 through 11, the, the young men, they deliver the message and Nabal's response to them is less than favorable. When David's young men came and spoke to Nabal according to all these words in David's name, they waited. Verse 10, but Nabal answered David's servant saying, who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men whose origin I do not know? Wow. That couldn't be a, a more arrogant cocky, insulting response and realize, you know, uh, David was humble. He had a legitimate request. The answer he gets back is not good. Have you ever gotten an answer back? Have you ever interacted with someone and the response is not good? You know, and, and I want you to realize in life that at that moment, you got to realize this is a test. It's a test of our character, amen. How we respond to people when they mistreat us shows more about us than it does about them. Come on, second service. You know, I mean, there are times where we're, we're right and we're honorable and we're gracious and we're even being humble and we're, you know, and we're bending over backwards for somebody and they just smack. How do we respond to that? Now, David's young men kind of traced their way back to him and relay the message. It was cocky. It was arrogant. It was insulting. It was dismissive. Look what he says. Who is David. Really, that was re that's rhetorical. Everybody knows who David is. David's the guy who killed Goliath. Come on, a national hero. It's like, it's, who is Babe Ruth? Are you kidding me? 
you know, David is the guy who is, you know, a leader of the military who constantly beat the Philistines inside out and backwards. So for him to say, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? I mean, it's just so arrogant. It, it, it's meant to be provocative. Did you ever get to, around somebody and they, their words are meant to be provocative? They're trying to pick a fight with you. They're trying to touch things off with you. Well, that's exactly what this is. Now, uh, David is about to respond and show Nabal who David is. And it's going to get ugly real quick. Now, he, the, the servants come back and they re relay the message. And it's not good news. In verses 12 and 13, David gives Nabal his reply here. And Nabal unaware of it, but this is what happened. So David's young men retraced their way and went back and they came and told him to according to all these words. David said to his men, each of you gird on his sword. So each man gird on his sword and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went up behind David with 200 staying with the baggage. So David basically hears the response and immediately he says, ah, oh, we should just pray for Nabal. He says, you know, Nabal's probably having a hard day. Let's, let's just bow. No, he says, you get a sword, you get a sword, you get a sword. He puts on his sword. David was a lefty, I'm just telling you. And they say, you know, we're going to war here. We're going to, we're, we're going to show this guy who David is. Now, I want you to see the difference in response here. Saul, who's hunting David like a dog, he has a chance to kill him, but he doesn't go for a sword. He just cuts off a piece of his robe. Because he won't touch the Lord's anointed. He fears the Lord. But on the other side of the coin of David's character, here's a little worm named Nabal who insults him and immediately he goes for the sword. So you got to see, you know, weak people revel in their weakness and say, my weakness makes me, you know, a good person. No, weakness is not always a good thing. There's a time to be strong and there's a time to be weak. There's a time to be humble and there's a time to say, well, now, you know what? It's, we're going to war. And realize David is capable of both of these things here. And that's a real person who can serve the Lord. Because sometimes God says, be humble. And sometimes God says, go to war. Wow, it's quiet now. And David is both sides of the coin. In this situation, we're going to see he's a little bit hot here and he's a little bit out of control. So there's that to measure and factor in. But he, he's like, saddle up, boys. We're going in. Uh, we're going to take our pound of flesh since we were shown no mercy. His dealings with Saul are the exact opposite of dealing with Nabal. Uh, he gets these 400 armed men and they head off to Nabalville and they're uh, going to have a good time. Verses 14 through 17, David's response to Nabal uh, is on its way. So he's coming in and Nabal doesn't know he's coming. But Abigail, uh, the, the intelligent, beautiful wife of Nabal, catches wind that they're about to be routed and slaughtered. And one of Nabal's servants come and tell Abigail, Abigail, we're in trouble. We're about to be attacked and destroyed. Now, by the servant's account of Nabal, uh, you know, we're going to hear the truth in this situation. What was the truth? Was David asking for more than he should get? Was Nabal being arrogant and dismissive? Uh, these verses here, starting in 14, show us that David was in the right in this situation. It says, but one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we were not insulted, nor did we miss anything as long as we went about with 
with them. While we were in the fields, they were a wall to us on both day and night. So he's saying, these, these guys protected us. They were good to us. They kept us. And, you know, and David was right. And, and basically, you know, Nabal was wrong. Listen to verse 17. Now, therefore, know this and consider what you should do. For evil is plotted against our master and against all his household. And he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. Wow. So remember, we said Nabal was a real popular guy. Here's Nabal's servant coming to Nabal's wife saying, our master is worthless and nobody seems to disagree. In fact, we're going to hear out of Abigail's own mouth how she feels about him. And there again, you know, we're, we're seeing some uh, things that could, you know, be applied to our marital situations. And we need, to, we need to point out some of them, and I will in just a bit. But basically at this point... Nabal's about to get destroyed and Abigail is their only hope. Now remember, these people there didn't do anything. The young man who was Nabal's servant stood up for David and said, David's right. So why should this guy die? So he steps in and he steps up. Verses 18 through 20, Abigail springs into action to save her household from her husband's folly. She puts together a, a stunning care package as a present for David and his men. And she goes out to greet them without Nabal knowing. Now listen to 18. It says, then Abigail hurried and took 200 loaves of bread and two jugs of wine and five sheep already prepared and five measures of roasted grain and a hundred clusters of raisin and 200 cakes of figs and loaded them on donkeys. She said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So realize what she does here. She realizes her, her household, her life, everything is on the line, so she springs into action. She puts together this great care package. Now, I want to tell you something. The, the Bible describes her as intelligent and beautiful, and we're going to see that it's exactly an accurate description of her. She's going to bring this care package, but I, I want to point out something here. She did it without her husband knowing it. Come on, look at me, smile, say amen, let me know you're breathing. And here's the thing I want to say about that. In 27 years of marriage, I never have felt justified in doing something behind my wife's back. And I would venture to say that she feels the same way. And she says yes. <laughs> she could say no. But the thing is this. You, when you're one, you don't, you don't do things like this. Obviously, Nabal and Abigail weren't one, you know, and I want to say something to all those who would do things behind their spouse's back. It's almost always wrong. And I can't think of one time I'd be justified in doing it. So, you know, we have a situation here where she's trying to, now, why did she have to go behind his back? Because if she told them, they were all dead. So it's life and death stuff. Listen, ordering 50 packages from Amazon because shoes were on sale is not life and death. Kim's crying in the front row. Okay, you know that new snowmobile that is 50% not life or death. Okay, so don't get the idea that this is okay to do things behind your spouse's back. It, it, it's sin, okay? But in this situation, it's life or death. So she, she does what needs to be done. And that's one of the things that make her intelligent. Now, uh, she, she comes out, she's got all this uh, stuff here for them, and it's a good present. You know, it sounds like, you know, uh, she, she came out with Kool-Aid and Italian subs and all kinds of cakes, and, and it was a good gift that they were received. And she's trying to avert all the drama 
that's on its way. Verse 21 through 22 gives a glimpse into what David is thinking here. Why is David so hot? We kind of get it, but this is what David's intentions were. It, it says, now David said to her, surely in vain have I guarded all that is this man's in the wilderness so that nothing was missed and all that belonged to him. And he returned me evil for good. So that's why David is so upset because he's done a good thing for this man and this guy's returned his good with evil. And many times in life, we're gonna be in those situations where we, we've been good to somebody and all of a sudden they just, when they get the chance, they're wicked or they're evil or they're dismissive or they're disrespectful to us. Come on, how many have ever been in a situation like that five times this week, praise God? <laughs> but how we respond to that is important. And we're going to see that, you know, David's response, while it shows the other side of the coin of his character, is a little bit over the top here. Um, he said, I guarded this guy's assets. I provided security for him. I was gracious to him. And he, he treats me like this. It's disrespectful. He's planning to kill every male in Nabal's house. It's quiet. That's not retaliation. That's vengeance. And vengeance always belongs to the Lord. But David is hot because this guy's disrespected him. Now in verses 23 through 25, Abigail appeals to David and her appeal is very powerful. Um, notice, you know, she's intelligent. We're going to see her intelligence here in the way that she just, you know, she articulates uh, points to David that are just so... Um, they're so intelligent, they're so profound, and they're spiritually acute. And when Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey and fell on her face before David and bowed himself to the ground. This is the way my wife greets me every time I come home. <laughs> she fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the blame. And please let your maidservant speak to you and listen to the words of your maidservant. And so she appeals to him. And right away, what does she do? She takes personal responsibility for what the, the, the disrespect that her husband has shown. And this, is a, this is a good thing. You're, you're, she's, her character is being shown here. She says, on me alone. So she says, I'll take full responsibility for the fact that Nabal was so ridiculous and rude and disrespectful to you. Then she asks permission to talk with him. She says, and please let your maidservant speak. It, it's so good in these situations where we need the favor of others to have humility in us. Some people don't have the humility to ask if it's okay for them to speak. They just attack you with words. And with their opinion and with their side and with their agenda. I don't know about you, but when you're in a position of power and leadership, you don't want to be assaulted by people. It's much better to come to someone like that. So notice she's smart here. She's, she's doing what her husband should have done. He should have been humble. He should have been, you know, but he wasn't. He was an arrogant fool. And she's shown to be the exact opposite of him. The way she conducts herself here is so powerful. Let the blame be on me alone and please let me speak. So, you know, David is looking at her. And remember, she's beautiful. He's like, speak. <laughs> Verse 25, Abigail pleads with David not to pay attention to Nabal. Now listen, listen to this here. Remember, uh, Nabal is a real popular guy. Please do not let my Lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal. Thanks, honey. For his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I 
your maidservant did not see the young men who came. So she's saying, you know, the young men came, only Nabal dealt with him. He's a fool. You know, he, he's just, he's the son of the devil like his mother named him. And, you know, he's full of folly. So don't pay attention to him, but pay attention to me. Now, again, we see over and over, you know, Nabal is just not a popular guy with anybody. Verses 26 through 31 gives the bullet points of Abigail's appeal, and it's powerful. First thing she appeals to him is she says, you know, you're about to shed innocent blood. Now realize this. Uh, there's a difference between killing and murder. And those who look at the commandments say, it's thou shalt not kill. Well, that just shows biblical ignorance right out of the box. Because if you kill an animal and eat it, you didn't murder it. The steak I had on vacation was not a murdered cow. Okay? But if you kill an innocent person, like a baby in the womb, that's murder. Murder is never okay. It's always a violation of the commandments. Sometimes killing is allowed. The killing in a just war is allowed. David killed thousands of Philistines, and God said, he's a man after my own heart. He killed one innocent man, Bathsheba's husband, and he said, you're a bloody man. You see the difference between murder and killing? She says to him, you're about to murder all these people because their blood is innocent. They had nothing to do with Nabal's stupidity. And that halts David in his tracks. Why? Because he, he right away knew, I don't want to offend the Lord. I don't want to have to. Listen to me. As a man, I am under control. And the only thing that controls me is the fear of the Lord. The only reason why some people are alive now is because of the fear of the Lord. I want to just tell you. Because you know what? If you, and I am scared of people. I'm really not scared of anybody. But people who don't fear the Lord really concern me. Because I see the behavior and, and they don't realize you're going to be called account by God for that. That's right. That's right. Wow. And David is stopped dead in his tracks by Abigail's words. Powerful appeal. Why? Because it was dripping with spiritual truth. This woman was not only smart, she was spiritually astute. And she spoke to him and says, you're about to shed innocent blood. Stop. Then she says, you're about to avenge yourself by your own hand. Wow. Let another man's lips praise you and not your own. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. All the scriptures, all the Psalms, everything. This is in David's heart. You're going to see it. He understood, wow, I'm about to sin before the Lord. Yeah, Nabal is a worm. Yeah, they deserve this. Yeah, they insulted me. But you know what? If my conscience bothered me by cutting off a piece of Saul's robe, my conscience should be shattered right now because I'm about to cross a line you can't uncross. So these words are powerful to him, and they, they stay him, and they, they touch his heart. Uh, verses 27 and through 28, she, she basically is saying, let my gift make up for my husband's insult. Now let the gift which your maidservant has brought to my Lord be given to your young man who accompany my Lord. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant. Look at that. She takes personal responsibility. For the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. So she begins to tell him basically, look, if you sow mercy now, God will have mercy on you. Aren't you being pursued by Saul unjustly? David, don't you want mercy for that? Then don't do this wicked thing. What a great appeal. Are you getting this? Yes. You know, whenever we appeal to someone, it should be intelligent, it should be spiritually accurate, it should be in humility. This is a, this is a template for how to approach someone when they're in wrath to, 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 to walk that backwards. <laughs> Most of us, when we talk to an angry person, by the time we leave, we, we, you know, we've infuriated them even more. 
right? Let's throw some gas on the fire. Anyone ever been there? Come on, the people who are just looking at me, you're the ones who are doing it. Yeah. You don't even know what I'm talking about. You're like, what's he talking about? Yeah. It's you, okay? So we can learn a lot from Abigail, and I'm hoping we are. Verses 27 through 28, I let my gift cover the transgression and the insults of my husband. Great, good form, Abigail. Beautiful approach. Verse 29, restrain your wrath and show mercy and, and, you know, sow mercy into your own kingdom. Verse 30 through 31, if you do what you're planning, it's going to bother your conscience. How did she know that? How did she know David had a, a gentle heart, had a conscience like that? Just by the, you know, it's just by the Holy Spirit. The Lord is speaking through this woman to, you know, put the brakes on David's wrath here. Uh, when you're the king, basically she's saying you're going to sow trouble into your future kingdom if you do this. Because you're going to have to rule over people who know you slaughter people when you get angry. It's bad, right? Bad form. A leader who bites the head off of people is, is really putting a lid on their own leadership. You know, you can come to me anytime with anything and I guarantee I'll be gentle and patient and loving with you. And, you know, you say, well, how can you guarantee that? Because I fear the Lord. And those people around me know, Pastor Mike has said to me sometimes, how come you were so nice to them? Because I fear the Lord. And you should too. And the way you treat people shows whether you do or not. Mm. So here's David, the Holy Spirit's checking him. He's speaking right through Abigail to him. All of these points are great points. And, you know, his response to her is beautiful, and it shows that everything she said got through. Ladies, isn't it good when your man actually understands what you're saying? Anyone ever experienced that? Seen pictures, heard stories? This is, this is a great chapter for the ladies here. You should be having a good day. Then David said to Abigail, honey, you were right. No, he said... Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me and blessed be your discernment and blessed be you. Hmm, that's a good blessing. Who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives who had restrained me from harming you unless you had come quickly to meet me, surely there would have been left to Nabal until this morning's light as much as one male. So David's saying, thank God you made it in time because honey, I was planning to kill everybody. Wow. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, go up to your house in peace. See, I have listened to you and have granted your request. So his response is the best response possible. David says his men out, he gets the worst response possible. Abigail goes out on her own accord. She brokers a peace. David responds to her in a perfect way. He said, made it clear, I was planning to wipe everybody out, but go in peace, I've heard you, and basically you're safe. And so it's a great result here. In verses 36 through 38, Abigail comes back home. She saved Nabal's life. She saved all his wealth. She saved all his sons and all his servants. And she returns home to find him doing what? He's throwing a party for himself and he's drunk as a skunk. Worthless guy. And he's wicked and his judgment was inbound and hot and he had no idea that it was coming. Isn't that a picture of the wicked? 
when the wicked, you know, it's been, but when, when we were outside of Christ and we weren't saved and we were in sin, all we were worried about was having fun, having pleasure, throwing a party, getting drunk, getting high, all of that stuff. And what was that a picture of? That's one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel. And we're like, woo! Yep. That's Nabal. Yes. That's Nabal. And we see it. We've seen it in our own lives. We see it in the lives of people we love. They just don't realize what's coming. The judgment of God is a sobering thing. Answering for sin is a sobering thing. When the pleasure wears off, the sting of sin remains and the piper must be paid his due. What a worthless guy this Nabal is. Throwing a party for himself like he's a king. Celebrating himself. Well, isn't that a picture of the world we live in? Everybody celebrates himself. These days, if you do your job, you're a hero. Everybody's a hero. You go on the soccer field, you get a trophy. Fireman puts out a fire, he's a hero. Pastor preaches a message, he's a hero. It's a whole other sermon, but I'm, you know, I'm pretty wound up about it. <laughs> so she averts, you know, single-handedly averts the disaster that's on its way. She comes home. She's so drunk, verse 37 and 38, she doesn't even bother to tell him that night. The Bible says she waits until the wine wear off him. Isn't that an interesting picture of, you know, he's intoxicated. He, he sobers up. Nothing's up but a hangover. She, she tells him David was on his way to kill you, and this guy basically has a stroke. It says he turns to stone. Ten days later, God, it says that God kills him. Wow. What a picture here. See, David could have avenged himself, but then brought a curse into his own life, into his own future. But through the Holy Spirit and Abigail's bravery and courage, he stayed off of that. And God says, look, I'll take care of what concerns you. I'll deal with your enemies. You don't get bloody and dirty. You just trust me. Boy, isn't that a picture for us? Amen. Come on. Oh, no, Pastor Rick, you don't know. You know, that they said this, and I heard about it, you know, through eight different chains of gossip. I'm pretty sure it's true. So I'm going to go give them a piece of my mind. <laughs> Listen to me. I just turned 50. I know I don't have any pieces to spare. So, you know, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> All right? Oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to get in there, and I'm going to, yeah, you're going to get in the pig, in the mud with the pig and get just as dirty. Sometimes I've seen people who are right in a situation get so wicked with their mouths that they become worse than the person who offended them. Oh, it's too quiet. I'm going to start throwing chairs. And, and here's a picture of what we, listen, hold your peace and let the Lord fight your battle. David gets this. You see, what's David doing in his holding pattern here? He's learning life lessons. He's learning about his character. He's learning about his own weaknesses, that he can be provoked. He can, he can have pride swell up. He can become violent. Huh. So God shows him, you know, just wait on me. He takes care of Nabal. David realizes it. And in verse 39, we see just a picture of David here, just totally broken up about Nabal's death. And Jill's the only one that got it. You know, he just does everything but backflips when Nabal dies. He's like, woo, thank you, Lord. You know, you take care of my enemies. And you notice something else, too. Right away, he's real broken up about Nabal's death. He almost immediately proposes to Abigail. <laughs> you know, when she was appealing to him, even that appeal was great. A lot of what, what he heard was just like... <laughs> Some of you should smile once in a while. It's good for you. 
So, you know, he right away, he's like, you know, oh, poor Nabal, let's pray. for. No, he's like, send, send some people, tell Abigail, I, I want to marry her. And uh, verse 41 and 42, he wastes no time. You know, uh, she was intelligent, obviously. She was beautiful, obviously. David, you know, we see some things in David. David's got some issues with the ladies, okay? And realize this, you know, restraint, sexual restraint, and all of these things are very important for leadership. We're going to see in this situation, uh, Nabal, God takes care of Nabal, he dies, and then David asks Abigail to marry him. That's a good, a good approach. Yes. We're going to see in Bathsheba, he takes Bathsheba himself, and he kills her husband, Uriah. Yes. Wow. Say, what's the difference? Same guy. Yeah, sometimes absolute power corrupts absolutely. Something happened in David when he was not as humble anymore, used to get in his way all the time. Be very careful. Be very careful. There's some things as a young man that, you know, uh, you're, it's easier. Sometimes you get older, you get less patience. You get, you get used to, you know, having things your way. Be careful. We see David, he waits. God takes care of his enemy and uh, he takes this woman and she's beautiful and she's intelligent and David's like obviously smitten whether he wants her. Now, it says here that basically when she hears the news, she gets on her donkey, slaps it in B for boogie and heads right for David. So, <laughs> you know, when you're married to a toad and Brad Pitt says, I want to marry you, I guess, hey ladies, it's a good day, right? So she's like, you know, she bows down, gets on the donkey. <laughs> but verse 43 tells us there's some issues here. He also has Ahinaham as a wife. So now he's got two wives. And all of us who are married know one's enough. God made Adam and Eve. You know, he didn't make Adam and Eve and Doris and Barbara and stuff. The two shall become one flesh. This, this multiple wives thing is cultural, but it was never God's highest. We see him use it in certain situations to get the 12 tribes of Israel through uh, Jacob and mo the multiple wives thing. But David is complicating some situations here for himself. Also, verse 44 ends the chapter telling us what happened to Michael, his first wife. Remember, that was Saul's daughter that Saul gave to David. And now Saul took her back and gave her to somebody else. So we see some seeds in David's character here, and I want to point it out to you, you know, that there are some really good, strong things in him, but there are some issues as well. And the way he, he deals, you know, with the ladies, he's eventually going to have many wives and many concubines. There again, a further complication for him uh, that he entangles himself in that is just, you know, not going to be beneficial to him as a, a godly man or a leader. But... Uh, this situation, he learns to wait on the Lord to deal with your enemies and then to do things properly and God will bless them. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray for myself and for all of us today for when we act like Nabal or when we get angry like David and uh, we fall into wrath and we go into a rage. Father, allow us to have the ears of the Holy Spirit. Send Abigails to us to stay our wrath. Help us to be humble people. Father, to learn the life lessons here that are so important. Father, to do things in your order. When we do things in your order, you bless them. When we do things in the carnal order, they are always cursed. Help us, God, to realize that we, your people, need to follow your will and your commandments and your, your word in every way because the world is watching. And Father, when the church is like the world, they see no need for Jesus. So Father, work on us. Make us humble. 
Give us the wisdom to speak intelligently, to have spiritual discernment, to give honor to whom honor is due, not to be arrogant. Father, make us more like David and less like Nabal. I ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give him praise this morning.